historical documents rather than fictional documents. I think if any of you went to the library, you could go to the nonfiction section or the fiction section and pick up books and see that they're written very differently in, in terms of the way they present themselves. And I think as we look at the Bible, we can see something similar. First of all, the Old Testament presents itself as an historical book. Um, if we look at the, the first several books of the Bible, Genesis through Esther, we see that, that what's written there is an account of the history of mankind from Adam and Eve uh, going up to Abraham and then Moses showing the history of mankind and more importantly, the history of Israel. Think about in if you've ever slogged through it, First Chronicles chapters 1 through 9, there is a long, long, long genealogy of, of mankind. I mean, just, you know, family by family, person by person. Books of fiction don't have nine chapters that catalog that genealogy. There's, there's history there. And, that, and as, as I was saying, that, that level of precision is not found in you know, even the token literature that you might read. Secondly, look at the wisdom literature, the books of Job and the Psalms and Proverbs, the Song of Solomon. What we're seeing there is God's wisdom applied to real-life situations. Those books, if you read the Proverbs, they're dealing with earthly, human, very practical issues. They're kind of getting down in the grit of, of how we live and think. Whereas myths don't have that level of earthiness to them. They're more kind of up in the sky, airy fairy. And then finally, if we look at the prophets in the Old Testament, both the major and minor prophets, uh, we see that we're seeing a record of God's word being transmitted through them, God's servants, to real life situations. Uh, uh, the, the, the context of Israel in those ancient days of being attacked by enemies, of the people worshiping on the high hills, those prophets spoke out against uh, what was going on there in very specific and real terms. Um, and again, what we're looking at is, is we're looking at history, and, and that's the, the most important thing we have to have there, and myths and fairy tales don't have that level. Um, moving on, the New Testament presents the Old Testament as being a historical book. So as the New Testament authors wrote, they looked back at the Old Testament, and they weren't looking at it like it was a big allegory. They viewed it as true, true history. For example, creation. Jesus himself refers to um, creation as being a real event in Mark 10. Paul looks at Adam and Eve and the fall of, of man um, in, in Romans 5, where he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all, all have sinned. So he's looking back, citing history as being something real and developing his theology from that. Another example in the New Testament is Luke continues that long chronology not only taking um, the, uh, mankind or the, uh, the lineage of mankind from Abraham to David, he extends it all the way to Jesus. So he goes from Adam to Jesus, again, citing the fact that 
uh, Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man. And finally, um, the flood. Uh, Both Jesus and Peter treat the flood as a real historical event. Um, Luke 17, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came in and destroyed them all. So all these things is the Old Testament the New Testament writers looking back on the old and saying, yeah, this really happened. And then finally, the, the New Testament um, itself is a set of historical documents. The Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles are um, writers reading about their accounts, their eyewitness accounts of real events that took place. Um, you know, whether it be the life of Christ or the, the birth uh, of the new church, they're writing about uh, things that really occurred. The epistles by Paul and Peter and John and James were real letters written to real people or real churches about real situations. Again, as we study um, the Corinthian church, we're looking at real issues that that church was encountering and Paul's dealing with them. And even if you think of the book of Revelation as wild and crazy as it, as it seems, it is a real letter written by the uh, Apostle John to the seven churches, real churches in Asia Minor, about really a supernatural event that, that he encountered. Um, so again, the New Testament is, is n- it's not a fictional book. It's nonfiction. And again, as we look at the Bible as a whole, we have to view it as real history, not it as anything else. Um, so now we come to the last part. Uh, we've been looking at a lot of different ways of responding to the challenges, uh, theological and textual. And again, I'll stop for a second and get a drink. And any questions about that, about what we just covered? The third way of looking at this is looking at uh, a technical response, and that is uh, directly addressing the challenges that some of these critics have made against, um, against the Bible, where they say it's just myth. So there are three different types of charges that, um, that can be made against the scriptures. One of it one of them is that it's, uh, it's full of supernatural stories. That the, the Bible is a mythical book because it reports supernatural events, miracles of Christ. And because supernatural events are impossible, therefore the Bible must be fictitious. Um, the second way of looking at it, uh, that they attack it, is the Bible is a mythical book because it has similar stories to a lot of other page, uh, pagan uh, myths. And therefore, the Bible derived from these pagan myths. And we'll get into that in, in a second. So because those pagan religion or those pagan myths are fictitious, therefore the Bible is the same way. And then finally, scattered stories. The Bible is a mythical book because this... Uh, the stories it has are scattered through stories throughout all of the different world cultures. And therefore, again, the Bible isn't history. It's just something made up. 
So let's look at this, the first one, the supernatural story. And the, the one that comes to mind the quickest is the book of Jonah. Um, and the book of Jonah is a book about supernatural uh, uh, events. Um, God is speaking directly to Jonah. You know, I want you to go to Nineveh. He's telling Jonah that directly. God supernaturally sends a storm to stop Jonah's escape uh, to Tarshish. And then finally, most unbelievable of all, God sends a giant fish to swallow Jonah, keeping him in there for three days, and then vomiting him out on land. And the skeptics look at this and say, no, no way, that's not going to occur. And those are miraculous events that, that just can't happen. And in fact, there was a whole movement started by a German, um, German theologian or scholar named Rudolf Butman that insists that any supernatural event in, in the Bible was false. And he wanted to go through and remove, in essence, redact all of the supernatural events in the Bible. You know, take out his big black magic marker and just start, just start erasing everything from it. And he actually called this thing, uh, this is back a while ago, demythologizing scripture. The problem with all this is that all of this demythologizing comes um, from really a weak argument. And it's weak because it's built on an assumption that you can't verify. And the assumptions that these skeptics make and many people make is that is the assumption of materialism. That is, they believe that the only thing that can exist is material things, the natural world, what I can see and think and feel. And if things happen that aren't within the material world, then they can't occur, and therefore they must be fiction. And I think the thing that we see here is that, uh, you know, a lot of our science is based on that. They only want to measure, you know, whatever is real is what we can measure. But in many ways, this is a faith assumption. They are believing that only the material world exists. Um, and there's, there's no conclusive, yeah. Um, and the problem there is there's no conclusive evidence that only the material world exists. There's no conclusive evidence that miracles can't occur. And the, the problem is, is, again, being scientific, in order to prove that there's only material world, you have to go through and, and examine all the facts from all space and time and look and see, you know, is this true or not? And throughout history, there are examples of, of miracles that are undeniable. Um, but these people refuse to accept that. They just write them off because they don't want to believe in it. So in some ways, uh, these skeptics are being their own god. They're defining what's, what, what's real or not real and limiting the scope of what they want to do. So that puts them in a, in a, a weak argument because they're not, they're not uh, uh, absolutely verifying those things that, um, that, that could occur like miracles. We, however, uh, as we look at the Bible and as we put our faith in what God has done, we do believe in a God that exists. 
And we believe that God directly and supernaturally can intervene in the affairs of this world in very extraordinary ways that are unexplainable. Any questions there? Okay. Let's move on to similar stories. Um, This is the one where the, the story of Jesus is just yet another story of talking about a dying and then rising again God. And they look at that in three different ways, that it's a fable, it's plagiarism, and it's counterfeit. Uh, The first one is Jesus is a fable, is that if you look at the stories of different uh, pagan gods from different religions, of Osiris, Danirus, Adonis, Addis, and other pagan uh, mystery saviors as fables, it has a similar ring to the story of Jesus. And therefore, they can't be true. If we look at the other thing that Jesus is a plagiarism, they say that the traditional history of Christianity cannot convincingly explain why the Jesus story is so similar to ancient pagan myths. Okay, again, there's too much similarity there. And then finally, Jesus is a counterfeit. After Cyrus came many other virgin-born, resurrected Savior gods, uh, Dionysus, Krishna, Mirthra, Tammuz, and since Krishna allegedly lived centuries before Jesus, there's sufficient reason to suspect that Jesus was just a counterfeit of Krishna and other savior gods who was worshipped many years before Jesus. These authors, I cited them earlier, uh, Timothy Freck, um, came up with 13 different ways in their book of how Jesus was like the pagan mystery um, saviors. And if you put those up, yeah. So they go through and list the similarities of, of looking at the, the, the Christian, uh, the, well, the story of Christ and then comparing them with stories borrowed from other uh, pagan people. You can keep, I'm not going to go through them. You can read them. You can recognize them. So when we look at these skeptics and the barbs that they're throwing against um, uh, our faith, we have to ask the question, is, is Jesus a myth? You know, are these made up? And so we need to examine the claims that these, um, these people are making. The first problem is, the first way to address this is, um, basically these skeptics are um, making everything sound like there's one mystery religion that exactly mirrors Christianity, and therefore it can't be true. So they're... Um, compiling uh, stories from all different religions and kind of building up a case against Christianity. Um, The reality is what they're doing is they're cherry-picking. They're taking different snippets from all over these different religions and building these cases against Christianity. One or two from every one, but they they come together, and they make it look like one religion that um, examines that is an example of our faith. 
The second problem is Christianese. When these people write their books, they use Christianese. That, that is, they use, I'll call it Christian-type language to describe the pagan cults that are, are copying them. Um, one story of this is this story of Osiris, who is an Egyptian god, who dies and then is raised from the dead. That sounds like Christ, doesn't it? The problem is, is that when you begin to read the original text, um, and I'll just go through it, it says that the story is that Osiris' brother killed him and buried his coffin in the Nile River. And then Isis, another god, recovered his body and brought it back to Egypt. But then his brother-in-law came and took his body and cut it up into 14 different pieces and scattered them all around. 13 of the 14 he scattered all over the place. And then Isis comes back and searches for the body parts and puts them all back together, kind of like Frankenstein, and, and, and makes him into the god of the underworld. So again, if you look at that story, it's not the Christ story of a man dying and rising again from the dead. It's, it's kind of a sounds like, but really isn't the same thing. And that's an example of this type of thing where they're saying, well, it sounds exactly like Christ, but it really isn't. It's not resurrection. It's making a zombie out of Jesus or um, of what Osiris. So the similarities become, um, become very di- different. And then finally, the other um, uh, way to confront some of this is chronology. Um, Again, the skeptics assume that Christianity was influenced by pagan myths. But the problem is is that um, pagan myths are probably influenced by Christianity. And that is because most of those myths come from writing from the third century onward, where we know the New Testament was written in the first century. So the, the question becomes, which came first? Is it more likely that these pagan religions picked up elements from Christianity and incorporated them into their own thinking? Or is it the other way around where Christianity did it from these pagan religions? And again, you have to think about... Um, um, Basically, Christianity and Judaism, uh, if you think about the writings that we've studied, there's a very fixed thing about keeping an accurate story of, of recounting, uh, of passing that story on from generation uh, that, that makes you realize that the tenets of our faith and of the Jewish faith is one of not pulling from all over the place, but it's monotheistic, keeping it centered on one thing. So that's basically this idea of chronology where the events of these, picking up these stories come in the the wrong way from what these skeptics say. And then finally, the other way to uh, really look at all of this uh, is this idea of a scattered story. Um, and the biggest example there is of the flood. Um, many, the scholars argue that since the story, the flood story is found throughout a lot of different cultures throughout all the world and the ancient, 
And basically, um, the, the question is, well, how can this same story be all over the place if, it, if, it's, if it's in the Bible? This doesn't make sense. And they point to um, uh, different stories like Arthrosis and the Epic of Gilgamesh have flood-like stories embedded in them. And these stories are even older than the, um, um, the Old Testament. So what's going on there? And again, these stories, if we go on to the next slide, yeah, have, uh, it's just a a list recounting uh, what's similar about them. A flood and a a big boat being built by command, the boat being built to precise dimensions. There's a heroic Noah figure and is saved, birds being sent out. Uh, and then the gods being appeased with that. So there's a, there are similarities there. But the, the problem, so, so the thing is, is if these stories are all over the world, then this Christian story is not unique. It's, it's just made up. And the real issue there is uh, that you have to look at is you have to ask the question or ask, pose the question to yourself, what if there really was a worldwide flood? What if really the whole earth was wiped out and only one family came, uh, survived from it? And this family multiplied and spread throughout the entire earth. Don't you think that that story or echoes of that story are going to spread out throughout the entire world and there will be traces of that coming? So rather than disproving the flood it actually kind of proves that the flood did exist at, at, at one time and that it wasn't, again, Christianity taking things from it, but the, this, this true event that happened in the Bible being promulgated throughout, throughout all the world. So it, it, helps, um, it helps solidify that, um, that, that issue that we have. So, again, just to recap the technical response to these, uh, these different stories, there's this compilation that we're get, stories are gathered from all over the place, uh, doesn't hold water. Uh, the use of Christian language or prettifying up um, um, these mythical stories doesn't make sense. And then that the, um, the scattered stories actually support the flood rather than talk against it. So again, uh, from a technical viewpoint, um, I think we have answers to cri- uh, the critics um, that, that are throwing their barbs at Christianity. So I think just stepping back as we look at Scripture being inerrant and inspired, um, we also have to look and, and trust and know that the Bible is a historical book and we believe in a historical Jesus who died on the cross and our faith is real because of that, and and not be swayed by um, the challenge of myths coming at us uh, from skeptics. Um, so um, that basically is today's uh, talk on stuff. Next week, Brad will cover where did the Bible come from? How did the canon of scriptures, the book of the Bible, how did they evolve, and how do we see them there? So I kind of ran through that quickly. Any questions at all about what I covered?
Well, if you look at our science, scientists now, they're looking for life in other worlds. You know, life evolved on Earth. Um, you know, so they believe it wasn't a supernatural event. They believe it had to be a material event, and they're looking for evidence of that. Well, okay. <laughs> Point taken. Yeah, where did the singularity come from? Yeah. Again, the one that people throughout the ages have tried to disprove is Christ rising from the dead. I mean, so that maybe that's obvious that skeptics have gone forth and tried to prove that he didn't and come across as believers. Um, yeah, I don't know about other miracles across our society that we would believe in. I'm just trying to think of a, a miracle in America. John? I would think that the universal miracle, if you talk to scientists, that the sun had to be exactly the right size, the earth had to be exactly in the right orbit, the tilt of the planet had to be exactly the right size, the amount of gravity had to be the right size, the coming together of cells to form the human being had to be exactly done right, the programming of the DNA. I mean, it, it's... The chances that that was all just at random is just, you'd have to have a lot of faith to believe that. Right. Mm -hmm. But in many ways, our scientists are trying to, you know, still hold to that, that it just all happened against all probability. Yeah. Actually, uh, Kelly had turned me on a really good uh, podcast that's theological. was uh, cross-examined. Frank Turek is really big into apologetics and uh, he actually has a book out that's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. <laughs> so, and it, it actually, when you actually look at the, the atheist argument, it requires a lot more faith in the unexplained than yeah. the Christianity does. It's really incredible. Anything else? Good discussion. Thank you. Class dismissed. <laughs>